we want to welcome our KKVV listening audience from the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada. Our speaker today is Senior Pastor Dr. Calvin B. Rock. He comes to us with another soul-stirring sermon today and we hope that you will join us today as we study together. If you'd like a copy of this program or any previous, you may contact us at 702-647-2627. Or you may download the sermon at www.abundantlifelv.org. Before our speaker comes to us, we will be favored with another sacred selection from our children's choir. Before our children's choir comes to us, we'll have our scripture reading by Jessica Chavez, after which you will hear the voice of our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Good morning, church. Happy Sabbath. Today's scripture comes from Proverbs chapter 18, verses 21 through 24. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The, the poor man uses in, entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. A man who has a friend must find, must find himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen.
church, let's give our children's choir a hearty amen. amen. Let them know that they must be encouraged and how much we appreciate their ministry to us here today. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for being a God who never sleeps nor slumbers, a God of mercy, a God of love, and as we open the word to study today, more about you, dear Father, and your Son, Jesus, open our minds and hearts and make us to be willing and obedient. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Another welcome to those who are listening on radio station KKVV. We know that many of you have made it a habit and we welcome you to the confines of the Sanctuary of the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. Today we are continuing with a very favorite theme of mine, one that I have utilized before in some studies here, but we're adding in a brief series that we have been conducting on the subject of something better. And we've talked about a better Adam, and Jesus is that. And also a better Moses. And today our topic is a better friend. Jesus is something better. And the key verse of the text that was read over in Proverbs chapter 18 says, a man who has friends must himself be what? And then there is a friend, but there is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. Nothing in this world is quite so wonderful as a good friend. Someone you really, really trust. Someone in whom you can confide. Someone you can tell anything. Someone who is dependable and trustworthy and reliable. And I don't mean just an acquaintance, a neighbor or a fellow member or somebody on the job, but a friend, a real friend, a confidant, some, someone who has a kindred spirit with you, someone whose vibes match yours. Do you know what I'm talking about? Someone who lifts you up and brings you joy, someone whose very presence and words boost your spirits, someone who makes you a happier and better person. Have you had a friend like that? Do you have a friend like that? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about such friendships. The Bible talks about how we can and should develop friendships and how we can keep good friendly relations and the first principle is that we've already read in Proverbs 18 24 where in verse 20 we read a man who has friends must himself be friendly rule number one if you are going to have good friends You've got to be friendly. Now, I've had some people say about this church, and it's not true. I've had some folks say, well, I went to that church or some other church, and they aren't friendly. Well, you know, if you come to a church or any place, one of the best ways to have friends is to be friendly. But if you come with a strong look on your face and like, like you're hurting and like you don't want to be touched and you sit down and you don't smile and you don't reach out and you know sometimes just a smile can make people friendly. I've been driving on the highways of Las Vegas 
and come pretty close to somebody else and they didn't like what I did and they were scowling at me and I just break out and smile. <laughs> and you know what they do? They smile. They smile, usually, usually. They smile. But if you're going to have friends, you can't be a wallflower. That's what Proverbs is saying. That's what Solomon is saying. If you're going to have friends, you can't get in the corner and watch everybody and sit back and wait for folk to come to you. If you're going to be friends, you have to expose yourself in, in terms of, of taking some risks and reaching out and smiling and shaking hands. If the Bible says you're going to have friends, you must be friendly. Then rule number two. The book of Proverbs chapter 6. The book of Proverbs chapter 6. And I'm going to read verse 27, which says, well, let's read 26 and 27. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Nice to preach on that one day, but I can't stop now. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Verse 27. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Rule number two. Don't make friends with anybody who's going to hurt you. Anybody that you can see and tell is going to reduce you, is going to have a negative a impact upon your life. Because, young people, hear it, hear the word of God. Solomon says, you can't take fire into your bosom without being burned. And then he goes on to expand about this and talk about what he means. Proverbs 22, verse 24. I hope you brought your Bible today. And I hope if you're listening on radio, you have your Bible and you're turning with me. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. We're talking about the Bible rules for friendship. And one of the things the Bible says is don't take fire in your bosom. It's going to burn you. And one of the ways you can be burned is establishing friendship with an angry person. If you're tempted to establish a close relation with a hothead and a quick temper, don't do it. Just as they are hot and angry at the world and other people, they'll turn right around and be hot and angry at you down the line. Solomon says, don't make friends. Don't get close. Don't wrap yourself up in some intimate relationship with somebody who's angry and, and mad at the world because you can't relate to a person in an intimate fashion without being influenced by that individual's temperament. Also in Proverbs 20, verse 19, the wise man lays another very, very helpful hint. He who goes about as a talebearer Reveal secrets, therefore do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Really, we got two things going in this verse. Number one, Solomon says, watch out for the person who's always telling secrets about somebody else's life. When I was a little boy, they said, a dog that'll bring a bone will take a bone. You ever hear that? Yeah. A dog that'll bring a bone will take a bone. That means that a person that comes to you with a bunch of tails on somebody else, they'll go to somebody else with a tail on you. And then the latter part of the verse says, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. You know what that means? That means that an individual 
who is always flattering you, telling you how great you are, and who is always building you up, may not be the most reliable person to, to help you out of your weaknesses. And then Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 and 16, Solomon continues all in the book of Proverbs. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on, for they do not sleep unless they have done evil. Proverbs 4, 14 to 16 says, Do not make intimate friends with somebody who is worldly and who is concocting evil things to do. You cannot, remember, take fire into your bosom and not be burned. Listen to what Ellen White says in this wonderful book, Messages to Young People, page 432. This is for young and old. It is not safe for Christians to choose the society of those who have no connection with God and whose course is displeasing to him. And that's one of the reasons I'm happy that so many of our parents want to start a church school. That's one reason. Because when our children make friends with these other children who have no connection with Christ, their parents don't have worship. I hope you do. But their parents don't have worship. They're not reading. They're not studying the word of God. They're learning from that culture. The Sistical Wiki was talking about in the children's story of those who are worshiping Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and those who are enamored with things of the world and who are fashioning themselves after the world. We need an environment where our children's models will be the heroes of the word of God and will be Jesus Christ himself. And that's why I'm so glad that so many of our parents are talking church school where we can ourselves put our children where they can be properly associated. It is not safe for Christians to choose a society of those who have no connection with God. Yet, she says, how many professed Christians venture upon forbidden ground? Forbidden ground. And then I read from page 436. Great care should be taken by Christian youth in the formation of friendships and in the choice of companions. Take heed, young people, old folk too, take heed lest what you think to be pure gold turns out to be base metal. Worldly associations tend to place obstructions in the way of service to God, and many souls are ruined by unhappy unions, either business or matrimonial, with those who can never elate, elevate or ennoble. And that's why I'm so glad we have many of our young people now coming back from Oakwood and PUC and the other Christian colleges. That's where, that's where you're likely to meet your life mate. And in another place, the prophet says, when we marry outside the faith, when we marry non-believers, the shadows are never lifted. Now, sometimes we can bring them in, and wonderfully, wonderfully, the case, it happens, but we take an awesome chance, and when we put our children, let me emphasize, where they can meet other young people and make girlfriends and boyfriends and sweethearts, sweethearts, when the time comes. On Christian campuses, with Christian principles, with other young people who've been reared in Christian homes, we are giving them a proper foundation for life. But in addition to these cautions that the Bible tells us about the right kind of people with whom we might want to establish relationships, the Bible also tells us how to proceed once good relationships are established. And I read now from the book of Job, chapter 17 and verse 5, the book of Job. Where Job, and you remember all of his friends, don't you? And how they came to counsel with him. Job said when they were talking to him, he who speaks flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children 
will fail. Meaning, again, a good friend will tell you the truth. Am I right? That's what Solomon's trying to emphasize. A good friend doesn't say you're looking good when your tie is crooked and your collar is sticking up and your shoes are not shine. A good friend will say, man, you, you better shine your shoes, fix your collar, comb your hair. A good friend doesn't let you go speaking bad English all your life. A good friend will say, hey, try to harmonize your nouns and your verbs. That's right. A good friend just doesn't let you go along with a, with a dirty car and, 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 and a dirty house and home. A good friend will try to help you. And that's what Job is talking about. Job says, a good friend just doesn't flatter you and make you feel good when you shouldn't be good feeling good. But then on the other hand, in Proverbs 27 and, verses, and verse 6, the Bible says this, 27 and verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So here is the other side of the coin. A if you're a good friend, tell me what's wrong, tell, and I, I should tell you, but on the other hand, when you tell me, I should not get all uptight about it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, meaning that when a good friend tells you something doesn't look right or something is wrong or there is need for improvement in your person or in your home or with your children, oh my, oh my. You want to make folk mad, just tell them they need to correct their children. You want to rile somebody up. You just say, that boy needs to stop running around these halls during Sabbath school. Go find him and sit him down. But a good friend will tell you when you need help. And if you're a good friend and a good person, you receive it. The wounds of a friend are faithful. I would rather suffer the wounds of a friend, Solomon is saying, than to enjoy the kisses of an enemy. But that isn't all. And I just love Solomon and these Proverbs because he's so practical and he speaks so very, very clearly to our subject today. Another rule uh, that he lays down is in Proverbs 6, verses 1 and 2, where he says, My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. Now, surety in modern English means cosigning. Yeah, that's it. Solomon says, if you cosign with somebody who's supposed to be your friend, you have taken a terrible chance. He's saying, be careful how you cosign on somebody's car note, even if it's your friend. Be careful. But look at Proverbs 11:15. Proverbs 11:15. He who is surety for a stranger will suffer. He said, now, this is the way I interpret it, be careful how you cosign for a friend. Be careful. If Pastor my elder Hudson wants me to co-sign with him. <laughs> I might co-sign with O.D. Might. But I talked with Frederica first for a long time. <laughs> but I might co-sign with O.D. But I'm not going to co-sign with somebody I never met and don't know. And the Bible says, if you're going to maintain good friendship, and I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, neither a lender or a borrower be. 
And one of the best ways to lose friendship is to start borrowing money and lending money. Broken up a whole lot of friendships. Solomon says, be careful how you become surety if you want to hold on to your friendship. And of course, uh, in life, we find all kinds of friends. We find fair weather friends. You know what a fair weather friend is? A fair weather friend says, I'll be with you through thick and thin. And when it gets thick, they thin out. That's what Peter was. Peter was a fair-weather friend. Oh, Lord, I'll stick with you. Oh, Lord, Peter, yeah, no, no matter what happens, I'll be there. And when they hung him, when they arrested him, he was in the back of the house peeking in, and the girl said, aren't you one of them? And he started cussing, cursing, pardon me. <laughs> Start using blue language. Fair-weather friend. A true friend loveth at all times, the Bible says, and sticketh closer than a brother. Another kind of friend, if we want to sum this up, is what is called a two-faced friend. <laughs> you know what? It's better for somebody just to plain old be an enemy. At least you know he's an enemy. And you can watch him. Right? What's that old saying? A friend of my friend is a friend. And a friend of my enemy is a friend. No, a friend of my enemy is an enemy. An enemy of my friend is an enemy. And there are people who just don't like you for no good reason. There's some folk don't like you. They don't have, you haven't done a thing to them. You haven't taken anything from them. They just don't like you because you're you. And you can't help being you. You didn't ask to be born. You didn't ask to be tall. You didn't ask to be short. You didn't ask to be from Jamaica. You didn't ask to be from Africa or Mississippi or Boston. You're just you. And they don't like you. Maybe you remind them of their father or their mother or somebody. But I'd rather deal with that sister or that brother or that person than a two-faced person like Judas, somebody who smiles in your face and stabs you in the back. So there are fair-weather friends. And there are two-faced friends who will grin and pretend. Hypocrites. Shake your hand and grin. Drippy. The corners in the mouth go up and the eyes come down. Yeah. And you know they're lying. Hypocrites. And then there are greedy friends. Like Lot. Remember Lot and Abraham? Now Lot had been so nice to Abraham, had protected him, put him on his plantation, kept him, helped him, fed his children, let Lot grow, his nephew grow to be a big householder with a whole lot of goods and finally came to, to get, he had so many cattle, so much cattle and so much family. Abraham said, Lot, we better split up here. So here's all the land, Lot. You take what you want. I'll give you first choice. Now what should Lot have done? The, 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 the temerity, the audacity of Lot to say, okay, I'll take all of this best land. If he had any, any, any appreciation, he would have said, no, Abraham, you've been kind to me. You take the best land. You take Abraham and I. No, he's greedy, the greedy rascal. He looked and saw all the watered plains and saw all of the, all of the streams cascading down the mountainsides and all the green grass and all the, the beautiful landscape. And it was over near Sodom and Gomorrah where his wife could get to town once in a while. And he said, I'll take that. And a greedy fool, pardon the expression, but that's what he was chose the best land and what did it do it ruined his whole family 
and his lack of appreciation and his lack of ethics and gratitude ruined not only his children but even his wife when God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and look back at what she saw down on the strip turned into a pillar of salt. There are fair-weather friends, there are two-faced friends, there are greedy friends, and then there are misguided friends, the kind that Job talked about over in Job 16, verse 2, where Job says when they got through talking to him with all of his problems, Job says they are miserable counselors. God keep us from miserable comforters, the Bible says in Job 16 too. People who talk like they know the solution, like Job's friends were trying to figure out his problems. They give you all kinds of answers and they're all wrong. Job says they're miserable counselors. If you don't know the answer to your friend's problems, just, just say, I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's no sin to say, I don't know, somebody dies and, and, and we can't figure it out. There's no, no, no sense in trying to comfort somebody, comfort your friend saying, well, this is what happened. God took her because God wanted to save her or God did. You don't know what God did. Just say, I don't know. But all things do what? For whom? That's all you can say. Lord, I'm at your mercy. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Don't try to explain to your friends the unexplainable. Pray for them and be there to help. Bring some food and, and take care of the children and cut the grass and do things to help. But don't be a miserable comforter. And then finally, they're what I call the make matters worse friends. <laughs> like Lot's wife. <laughs> when the poor boy was suffering and scraping all those sores and, and in his misery and all the cattle that had been killed and his sons were killed and his servants were, and she comes along and says, if I were you, I'd curse God and die. <laughs> now did that make anything better for Lot? Make matters worse. And one of the greatest examples of make matters worse is over in the book of Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 2, a man named Jonadab. Jonadab. In 2 Samuel 2 verse 1 of chapter 13. Let me review it with you briefly. We have time. After this, the Bible says, here's a classic make matters worse. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the sister of David, loved her. Amnon, verse 2, was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. Poor boy. For she was a virgin and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. You get the point? You get the picture? Yeah. This is David's son. And his name is Amnon. And he has a sister named Tamar, who was a beautiful virgin. And he wanted this sister so bad he got sick. He is wrong from the get-go. But look at what the Bible says. And Amnon had a friend. Here we go. With the make matters worse friendship. And Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. That's even a bad name, Jonadab. The son of Shimeah, David's brother. Now, Jonadab, sound like a cousin to me, Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, to Amnon, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Would you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. 
So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king, David, came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent to Tamar, he didn't know what was going on, saying, now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down, verse 8, and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes, verse 9, and she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused them, he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. Uh-oh. He's getting ready to do something bad, isn't he? And they all went out for him. Verse 10, then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made. She was innocent and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Watch out how you get in the bedrooms. <laughs> Verse 11, now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? As for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. If you want this right, then do it the right way. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her. You know, that's the way it often is, young ladies. That's the way it often is. Once you give up your virginity, they don't want anything to do with you. You're just another slut. Just somebody else they used. Another object of their passion. He hated her exceedingly. Didn't just hate her. Hated her exceedingly. Well, the story goes on as to how Absalom heard about it. And Absalom was so angry that he had Jonadab killed. And he had Amnon killed, rather, his own brother killed for what he had done for his sister. And this was a scandal and a tragedy because a friend, so-called Jonadab, a friend was a make matters worth companion. And there are those in the world about us today who see us in a wrong path and they just make matters worth. Jonadab told Amnon how to proceed to fulfill his evil wish. And we don't need or want any of these two-faced, any of these fair-weather, any of these greedy, any of these make-matters-worse friends that are around us. We must remember we cannot take fire into our bosom and not be burned. But there's good news. There's good news. The Bible also gives us examples of true and worthwhile friendships. One was Ruth and Naomi. Remember Ruth and Naomi? You remember. Naomi moved from Judah, and she and her husband Abimelech went to Moab, and they had two sons, Naomi and Abimelech, but Abimelech died in Moab. And her two sons died leaving two widows, and we'll be talking about that at 5 o'clock today, died and left these two young women without husbands. And one of them said, I will go with you wherever you go, name Naomi. Orpha kissed her and said goodbye, but Ruth said, oh no. And then she is quoted in those wonderful, beautiful, stirring, and very, very touching verses in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Let me read them for you. It's one of the most beautiful statements of friendship. When Ruth said to Naomi, you're going back to Judah. Your husband is dead. My husband is dead. Your son and your other son is dead. But look, don't leave. I'll go with you if you must. Entreat me not. 
to leave you or to turn back from following you after you. And wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, my God, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. What kind of friendship was that? That Ruth had so bonded with Naomi. And then there's the friendship of Samuel and Eli. You remember the story in 1 Samuel 2 where Hannah had prayed for a son and when he was born she took her little boy Samuel to the temple and left him with the old man Eli. And Eli was in the latter stages of his life when the young boy Samuel about 12 or so or even less was taken to help him. And... Ellen White, the prophet, says this of the friendship of that little boy and that old man. Now, mind you, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were rough dudes, rough characters, so rough that the news of their profaning the temple and being slain in battle hit Eli so hard that he fell over and died with a broken neck. But before he died, he made friends with the little boy Samuel. Ellen White has this to say. It was a singular thing between Samuel and Eli. Eli, the chief magistrate of the nation, and the simple child, so warm and friendship existed. Samuel was helpful and affectionate, and no father ever loved his child more tenderly than did Eli this youth. You know, it's possible to have warm friendships between people of opposite ages. Little children can fall in love with old people. And old people can fall in love with little children. There can be a bond where they are helpful to each other. And that's the kind of friendship that should be in our homes and in our church. Then there's a friendship of Jonathan and David, and I love that one. And you know the story again. I can't tell all the details. But David had been anointed by God as the presumptive leader of Israel. There was no primary, but God said, I want you to be king. And Saul heard about it. And Saul started his campaign to slay David. The people were singing David, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul couldn't stand it. And so every time he got a chance, he tried to kill little David, young David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, loved David. And he and David bonded so firmly that on one occasion in 1 Samuel chapter 20, they met and made a pact that endured through the rest of their lives and which is one of the most tender and precious relationships ever expressed. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 17, now Jonathan again calls David to vow. Because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And the Bible goes on to tell how Jonathan told David, my father's after you. And David said, what have I done? I haven't hurt him. I can't help it. God anointed me to be king. I'm not going to hurt your father. I'm not trying to overthrow him. Jonathan said, that's all right. I'm going to go in and have dinner with my father and I will test it out. And I will see if he's really going to do anything to you at this present time. And the Bible says he did just that. And verse 30 of 1 Samuel 20, Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan and said to him, This is his own son. Saul said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to be to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? That's his daddy talking to him. And then the Bible says, he jumped up Saul and took a, took a spear and threw it at Jonathan. And Jonathan had to run out and go to the woods and tell David, yes, 
My father is insanely jealous of you and determined to take your life. And the two men embraced. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 41 that as soon as the lad had gone, speaking of the lad who gave the signal to David to run, he fell on his face to the ground, bowed three times, and they kissed one another. And they wept, but David more so. David was heartbroken because he knew this was the end, and it was. He never saw his beautiful friend Jonathan again. In fact, Jonathan died not long after that in battle. Then there's some other friendships. There's a friendship of the three Hebrew boys that I'd like to hold up as an example. Remember them? Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I like them because there in chapter 3 of Daniel, they stuck together. They stood up. The king put up this 90-foot tall idol and said, bow down. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And what did they do? Did they split up? And one said, no, you do this. No, they stuck together. And the Bible says in verses 16 through 18 of Daniel chapter 3, we are not careful to answer you, king. Our God, they spoke in the first person plural. They were together. They were a group. Their friendship held them. And they went to the fiery furnace. Dedicated. Together. To serving God. And there are many, many more. But no matter. No matter which of these friendships you like. And no matter how well they speak. I'd like for you to know. That the best of all friendships spoken of in the Bible is none of the above. The best of friends recorded in the Bible is still the best and the better of friends today. And that friend is Jesus Christ. He is the best friend to have. As the song says, the best friend to have is Jesus. Why? He's a better friend, number one, because he's always available. I call some of my friends sometimes and they're not available. They put me on call waiting or they, they, they let me leave a message or I'll call you back. But not with Jesus. Jesus, my friend, is always available and the young people have it right when they say call, collect. He'll accept. He's always there. He never sleeps nor slumbers as the children sang earlier. He is a better friend. Because he understands when nobody else can get it. Jesus understands even when you can't explain it. He understands because he has been here. He knows our trials and temptations. He is a better friend because he never leaks any confidence. Now it's hard for us not to leak. We like to talk. We like for people to know that we know. And even with our friends, sometimes we may not say what they said, but just a facial expression, the eyebrows. Sometimes just taking the Fifth Amendment tells the story. But Jesus never leaks. He never betrays the confidence. He's a better friend because I have the sense that when I'm talking to him, I have his full attention. And I don't know how he does that in this great big world, but he's promised that he counts the hairs of my head and he numbers my tears in a bottle. And with everybody else amongst the billions of humanity, he, my better friend, is focusing on me. Have you ever had friends? Who, when you are with him in a crowd, you get the idea that they're distracted by somebody else? I had a young lady that I was talking to at Oakwood one time, did me that way. I was talking to her and thought I had his attention and somebody else came in and I saw her eyes wander. And I said, uh-uh. <laughs> She's not thinking about me, really. She's got her eyes on him. You know, later she confessed she was sorry, but it was too late then. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that there are sometimes friends 
whose affections stray, but I get the idea that Jesus is always focused and he and I have a one-on-one -on -one relationship. He is a better friend because his counsels are always right. He never gives me wrong advice. Even the best of friends can give you wrong advice. Not purposely, but they can because they don't know everything either. He is the best of friends because his promises never fail. Every time he promises to do it, he does it just like he said. He said, you return the tithe and I'll open you the windows of heaven. You honor my Sabbath from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. I'll cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. He says, the liberal soul shall be made fat and he keeps his promises. His promises are true. He is a better friend because his connections are better than anybody else's. He has better connections than anybody else in the universe. He has connections with the Father from whom we were separated, Isaiah 59.2. He's my better friend because in the process of salvation, it is true that it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not the 2300 days. It, it, it's not all the prophecies and scriptures. It's who you know. And he knows the Father because John says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. He is the unbegun beginning, equal with the Father and he knows me. I am his friend. And he can get me in with the Father. And he can tell the father, my blood, my robe, forgive him and accept him and let him in. And he's a better friend because he suffered and died for me. Romans chapter 5 states it succinctly, states it concisely. Romans chapter 5 beginning at verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's a better friend than any other friend. Because he was willing to die for you and me, not when we were good, not when we were converted, not when we were cleaned up. He died for us when we were evil and vile and sinful and dirty, when we were wallowing in the, in, in the pig mire of sin. Jesus died for us before we got cleaned up. He died for us sinners. Maybe, Paul says, a good friend might die for a righteous person. Maybe. But Jesus died for the unrighteous. He took a chance. He came all the way down to be our friend. And while he was here, they accused him. As long as he was giving them food, they were his friends. But then they were only fair weather seekers. Because as soon as he said, here's the food, now go thy way and sin no more, they said crucify him. They wanted food, but they didn't want righteousness. And so one of his supposed friends, Judas, turned him in and he was tried before Herod and Pilate who were enemies. Herod and Pilate were bitter enemies. But when Jesus was before them, they became temporary friends and he was buried in the tomb of a silent friend named Joseph who refused to own him while he was alive. But when he was being crucified, came out of the closet along with Nicodemus and provided a tomb to lay his body. And his lacerated body was placed in a tomb by his weeping women friends. And his friend Mary, who had been redeemed from all sorts of devils and evils, came to check on Sunday morning. And found that the tomb was empty and ran back to tell his frightened friends in town, quivering for fear of the Jews. And later he ascended from the Mount of Olives and said, my friends, I'm going to be back someday. 
But before I come back, I'm going to send you my best friend, the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is going to come down and he's going to empower you and you'll be able to do more with his presence being everywhere than I could as a human being, being one place at a time. And he said, when I come back, friends, I'm going to receive all my friends. And who are they? John 15, 14 says, you are my friends. If you do whatsoever I tell you, if you keep my commandments, that's the test of friendship with Jesus. And we keep his commandments because we study his word, because we pray, we get strength, we go to our friend Jesus. And Ellen White says prayer is like talking to a friend. So we open up our hearts to our friend Jesus. He gives us the strength and the power to do what is right. And when he comes back, he's going to get his friends and gather us. And he's going to take us to a better place. And Zechariah said, I saw it. Zechariah 13, 6. And when I saw him, I saw wounds on his body. And I said to him, the prophet declares, what are these wounds? And Jesus says, I was wounded in the side. I was wounded in the house of my friends. Wounded by those he came to save. Wounded by those who accused him and when his only crime was doing good. Wounded when they took his life because he refused to bow down to the principles of evil. And what he's looking for today is for church members and for men and women who will be his true friends. He's looking for people who will stand up in Sin City and say, I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. I don't mind dressing like a Christian. I don't mind eating like a Christian. I don't mind talking like a Christian. I am a friend of his who is my best friend, Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when he comes back and that great mass of people is resurrected from the grave and all of the friends of Christ throughout all time stand in that big mob. I plan to be there, don't you? I do. And I like that song that says, when the saints go marching in. And maybe it ought to be when the friends go marching in. But when the saints go marching in, I plan to be there. If you, by God's grace, want to leave this sanctuary today, Grateful for Jesus, your friend. Jesus who brought you thus far and Jesus by whose grace you can make it on it. I want you to stand and I want you to sing with me in triumph and sing with me in praise and sing with me in determination that one day we will meet friend Jesus. We will meet friend Jesus and we'll meet each other because, you know, we will know each other in glory. We'll be able to renew these friendships. We'll be able to renew these friendships. We'll be a perfect us at that time. You'll be known just like Jesus after the resurrection was known by his manners. When he blessed the fish and when he prayed and when he walked and when he talked, they recognized him after the resurrection. So we will know each other in the resurrection in our glorified forms. And the friendships we have now, brother and sister Zebra. The friendships we have now, Elder and Sister White. The friendships we have now, Brother Sam Wilson. The friendships we have now, Brother and Sister Collins. The friendships we have now, Sister Perkins. The friendships we have now, Ronto. All those friendships will be renewed in glory where we will have our resurrected forms and we will see Jesus, our main friend, who has brought us through. Sing it with me if you mean it. Oh, when the saints go marching in. And let this be our parting song. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Lord, Oh, when they 
It's going to be a great day of gathering. Oh, Lord. Oh, when they march around the throne. Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints oh when they keep the Sabbath day Chorus one more time. Oh, when the saints. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Lord, I want to be in that number. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise of redemption where we will never part again. And before I finish my prayer, you know what I would pray for today? I pray that someday in glory we can have a little abundant life reunion. Wouldn't that be nice? Hey, how about that? Suppose we ask Jesus to give us a few minutes in a corner somewhere and all the saints from abundant life could just gather together and talk about how we got over. Talk about the blessings of the Lord. And before I finish my prayer and we leave here, I want to appeal to that man or woman who's not a member of the church. Just raise your hand if you're not already a member of the church and you would like to join this army. You